Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And welcome to Modern Day Debate. We are a neutral, nonpartisan platform welcoming everyone from all walks of life. If you're looking for even more fantastic debates, we are all over the internet, including your favorite podcasting platform so if you enjoy debates please don't forget to like follow and subscribe including tonight's debate on does the left ignore the trans folks with our debaters maddie and malcolm and shapeshifter and cat here to help us find out and if you enjoy what either of them have to say tonight our guest links are in the description below. You can also tag me in chat at Amy Newman with your question or comment for our Q&A section. Those super chats will get yours sent to the top of the list. With that, I'm going to hand it over to the affirmative side for their 10-minute opening statement. The floor is all yours. When you say affirmative side, can you just repeat no, like not, not the the question? Sure. Does the left ignore the trans folks? Okay. And oh, uh, I'll go first. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Shape. Uh, I've been trans-identified for 10 years. I had my sex reassignment surgery seven years ago. Um, six months ago, I came out as D-trans and started detransitioning by taking testosterone. Ever since I came out as D-trans, I've been mostly platformed by right-wingers uh, or people who are leaning more right, um, which immediately made everyone assume that I sold out to the right, um, but I actually didn't. I would have loved to talk to somebody on the left, but nobody has approached me except for yeah, one yeah. media outlet that is British. And after interviewing me for an hour and a half, they decided not to air it. Um, so that's where it's at. Um, I've also been accused of being a grifter and fraud. However, I have not made any money of the interview. Um, so yeah, I've been also advocating against um, medical transition of um, kids under 18. So that's where I'm at. Um, so I'll pass it to Kat. Hi, I'm really thankful to be here today for this. Um, thank you for having me. My name is Kat and I'm a detransitioned woman. I identified as trans starting at age 13 years old. Um, and I was not affirmed by my parents or my pediatrician or my peers back then. This was, I'm 31 now. So this was in the mid 2000s when I uh, was identifying as trans and coming out as trans. And so I ended up transitioning later as an adult. I mostly took testosterone as well as socially transitioning and coming out publicly. 
And unfortunately, I suffered some health side effects from the testosterone, which happened very quickly for me. I also was a semi-professional singer prior to transitioning, and um, I didn't realize that the testosterone would cause permanent and detrimental vocal changes. Um, it, it, it made it so that it essentially became painful to talk, laugh, sing, and I was not able to perform for two years. I recently started performing again, but I have completely different voice now. Um, and so when I was detransitioning, it became very clear to me the lack of support that there is for detransitioners in more ways than one there, you know, there's a lack of support from medical professionals. For one thing, I tried to seek help for my voice and almost no one knew how to work with a, a detransition female voice. Um, I was told I could not really change my range at all. Um, I was also gaslit and told there was nothing wrong with my voice when I was literally in pain every day. Um, you know, I've, I've heard from many medical professionals that they just really don't know what to do with detransitioners. So there's that side of it. There's the fact that I lost a lot of friends when I detransitioned. I was rejected by people within the trans community, some friends who were really close to me. And that was tough. Um, and then finally, you have, of course, the media, which is obviously the subject of this debate. But, you know, prior to transitioning, I believed that detransitioning was rare. I believed it, would, it could not happen to me, um, you know, that there was a fraction of a percent a, a, a fraction of 1% who transition, detransition. And so just, you know, when you type detransition into Google, um, first you get left-wing media outlets like NBC. Here's the title of one, for instance, this is from 2019, which is the year I started the transition. And that is media's detransition narrative is fueling misconceptions, trans advocates say. They say the current narrative makes transition regret seem more common than it is and contributes to misconceptions about transgender people. Um, and then a more recent article, this one's from KQED, it's, it talks about kids, children transitioning and how California is a, it's presented a, um, as California is a sanctuary state um, for trans youth coming from other states looking to, to receive uh, gender affirming health care. But even within this study, there is a whole paragraph that says there's no solid data on how many kids remain satisfied with medical interventions or feel remorse about gender affirming transitions. And it talks about the lack of solid evidence about children who transition. And yet the way this article is presented is that it's, it's very positive in terms of, of course, we should let kids transition. This is safe. Um, and so what we've been seeing is just a very one-sided narrative, narrative from the left. And like Shapeshifter, I've had mainly right-wing outlets reach out to me, despite, you know, I've been a devout Democrat my entire life. Um, I've always voted Democratic. The, now I'm, I feel more politically homeless just because, you know, some of my views have changed surrounding this. But there's so much on the right I don't agree with. But um, I think it's important that anyone considering transition hears our stories because detransition is, it is a growing phenomenon. It is something that can happen and anyone making a decision like this deserves to know both sides of the story. And it's frankly irresponsible for media outlets to ignore us. So that's kind of a summary on where I stand on the issue. Um, I also wanted to just add, I also had a lot of health complications from medical transition. And I do regret my transition, but I also wanna put out a message that 
the transition in certain cases is not fully possible, especially if you've gone as far as I have, which is I've gotten all the surgeries that I could have gotten. And till today, I'm unable to have sex with my new vagina despite multiple revisions. And I have osteoporosis and scoliosis due to lack of hormones in my body for a few years. Thank you. One thing, um, thank you, Shape. And I also just want to add that um, this, the left seems to be really glamorizing transition because I think with both of us, there were so many risks, there were so many health risks and the quality of the science is so much worse than what we were told it was and how it was represented to us. Um, you know, I've, I've brought several, I, I brought a lot of citations with me about, you know, um, some of the science and I'll go more into the flaws and the methodologies and things like that. But um, what happens is that transition gets glamorized and, you know, I, I feel like the, the health risks especially are downplayed and a lot of people are going into this and they don't even find out these health risks until, you know, months, years, sometimes down the road. And, you know, for a lot of people, it's, it's too late. It's, 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 you can't always completely come back from your transition and reverse the effects. I have in a lot of ways, but, you know, like my voice, um, I don't, I've, I've been living with vocal pain now for like two years and I don't know because I have this unique vocal anatomy. I don't know if that will ever change. And, you know, you hear various health side effects from almost every detransitioner I've spoken with. Yes, my back hurts every day because of osteoporosis. It's very traumatic to be back on testosterone and having my sex drive and not having functional genitals of some kind. And until today, I don't even know what exactly went wrong with my surgeries, despite being to so many different surgeons. So that's where I'm at. I also believe uh, I am part of Trans Against Groomers. So it's people who transition as adults, but they don't agree that anybody under 18 should be transitioning because you can make a consensual decision to something this serious and this lifelong. Right. If we're not allowing children to get tattoos or drink alcohol or join the military, it's, you know, consent laws exist for a reason. It's, and it's because the brain isn't fully developed until the mid twenties usually. And for neurodivergent people, which um, a, a larger percentage of trans identified people are neurodivergent than the general population. Um, and so that, that brain maturation can happen even later in life for, um, for neurodivergent people. And also when you have people with severe mental illness as well, regardless of age, you know, if you're in a great deal of, uh, of mental distress and desperation, it's not necessarily informed consent. Um, and, and plus I, I would even go so far as to say, you know, the science, um, these interventions are still very experimental compared to other fields of healthcare. Um, and so, you know, anyone going into this, even the doctors themselves don't have a good idea of the science. Um, so yeah, I would dispute the whole concept of informed consent in this context. Yeah, for sure. I agree with what Kat said. I had my surgery at 24 and I was 100% convinced that I was a woman and I will never regret this. 
but my sexual desires have changed. And now I wish I had my penis back, but no matter what I do, I'm never getting my penis back. And I've talked to a D trans man who attempted to get phalloplastin and it failed. And he had to reverse phalloplastin and take new phallus apart and put the skin graft where it came from. So it's just um, being part of the trans community is just a lot of people are suffering with permanent health damage uh, due to transition and surgeries that they regret they've gotten. About one minute. Okay. And a lot of the trans women I know because of testosterone, they don't know if they'll be able to have kids and some of them are missing their breasts. They won't be able to breastfeed. Unfortunately, a lot of um, trans radical activists claim that the surgeries are reversible and a lot of public at this point is convinced that you can just go and get sex change like it's nothing, but that's not the case, you know, um, you can't. And getting breast implants after a double mastectomy is just not the same once all the glands are removed, you know, and getting phalloplasty is also not the same as having a naturally born penis, I guess, natural penis. And, you know, I, I think the left um, is characterizing us as just transphobic. Like we, we hate trans people. We're, we're anti-trans. And I think that does detransitioners uh, a huge disservice because, you know, at the end of the day, we're real people who have been hurt by this. And what we are trying to do is, you know, make care better for everyone. Um, like I, you know, I, I think most detransitioners want the best for both the detrans and trans community. We want these people to have the best medical care. We don't want, um, we don't want harm to those communities. And yet that is how we're being portrayed by the left. Yes. And I wish I didn't get the bottom surgery because I was not aware that there were actually no studies showing that genital surgeries improve mental health at all. In fact, my depression, anxiety, and suicidality got worse after the bottom surgery. And with that, I want to thank the affirmative side for their opening statements, and we're going to hand it over to the negative side for their up to 10-minute opening statements. The floor is all yours. Cool. Um, I'll start us off. So um, first of all, I want to say that thank you to both um, Cat and Shape for sharing their experiences because it, it, takes, it takes a lot of bravery and courage to be open about when you go through something and it doesn't work out, especially when you feel um, harmed by it. So thank you for for sharing your stories. And I do want to say that that what you feel, maybe that um, you weren't provided enough information and that if you had been provided enough information, maybe you would have made a different decision in terms of your um, treatment. Um, I think that's totally valid. And I, I agree with Kat in that I think it makes sense to make sure that we're providing all that information because regardless of whether you're going through a gender affirming procedure or even a, a normal procedure like a hip replacement or shoulder surgery, there's always going to be risks. And the best thing we can do to ensure that people are being safe and making the right decision for them and that they are setting themselves up to have the best possible outcome is by giving them that information. Now, to go back to the question at hand, this main, is the left um, ignoring detransitioners? Um, one thing I think I, I that doesn't surprise me is that it's right wing outlets that primarily seem to seek out these stories. However, 
I w- don't know if the rationale for doing so is because they feel that these, you know, oh, but we want to make sure people are being safe. What I seem to see more frequently is that they seek out stories about people who have detransitioned as a way to invalidate um, and and diminish the the existence of trans identities overall, and using that as evidence of um, why you know these these trans identities are are not valid or shouldn't be taken seriously. Um, and that I think is where we find the biggest problem. Isn't that the, these are stories that are worth, that aren't worth telling because they absolutely are. But when, um, it, they're weaponized to, to then attack other people, um, people who are marginalized and suffering and being targeted right now, um, that is, I think, where the issue is. Um, and I think I'll, I'll end with this and then I'll pass this over to Malcolm. But um, I think in all cases, care needs to be individualized. And um, one of the good things, at least I, I'm also based in California, um, about the care that's offered here is that it is a multi-pronged process where at the crux of the individual's care, the main um, motivator or desired outcome is reducing gender dysmorphia. If gender dysmorphia is there, that may include medical intervention that may not. But at the end of the day, it's ensuring that, um, the person is of sound mind is, um, not suffering unnecessarily because of their identity and making sure that all the care that's being given to them is with their best interests at heart and, mitigating any sort of risks. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm looking forward to the rest of this discussion. Um, Malcolm, you can go ahead. All right. Um, I think if we're asking the question, does the left ignore D-trans folks? I think that in some scenarios you could say yes, but I would argue that the right does a similar thing. Um, I know that a lot of people who are platformed um, as detransitioners, it's usually by right-wing people. Um, but if we're looking at the kind of things that we want to see detransitioners have access to, um, these are going to be things like support, like reconstructive surgery, you know, community, all of these things. Um, I know that Shapeshifter um, had mentioned, I think it was Shapeshifter and Kat also mentioned, um, kind of being politically homeless, where you kind of turned against this community and they rejected you. Um, and I think that that's fucked up. And that's been um, a criticism that I've had of the trans community for a long time is that there, there needs to be a little bit more openness and flexibility in how we support people, even if they aren't doing the things that we would want for ourselves. Um, so I think in a way... The left does ignore detrans people, but I think that the people that the left are ignoring specifically are people that will say, because I transitioned and it wasn't right for me, I think that we should either have harder to access transition or we shouldn't let anybody transition at all. And I'm kind of indifferent on that. I think that if that's something that people choose not to platform, I think that's okay. Um, There were a few things that I wanted to tag on to the end that Kat had um, brought up as far as um, detransitioning statistics. when we're talking about detransition itself as a whole, detransition within the community is really rare. Um, if we look at this, uh, I can drop this in the chat here in a second. And if we look at like a WPATH survey that was done in 2018, we can see that like it's like 0.1% um, of people who medically transition regret and then detransition. Um, and additionally, if we're looking at um, children, 
who access medical care, either they go on puberty blockers or they identify as trans. Um, with the Dutch cohort that was just done in 2022, we see that they persist into their identity like 98% of the time, I think is the number off of that one. And I can drop both of those in the chat. Um, I'm really interested in where this conversation is going to go because I, I think that there are valid concerns that detransitioners bring to the table, like the idea of being alienated from a community because you're not in line with what they expect you to do, which I think is obviously inappropriate. Um, the lack of resources. I know that Kat had mentioned a little bit like the accessibility about uh, working with your voice. Um, Shapeshifter, I know that you've mentioned many times that you've had issues getting reconstructive surgery or accessing hormones in the opposite direction, so to speak. And I think that those are things that are, are kind of more of an issue than which voices like certain platforms are selectively um, deciding to platform. I know obviously that's the topic of the debate, but I think that that's like a little bit more important. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about that for sure. And uh, I appreciate everybody um, and the invite, of course, as per usual. Thank you so very much, all four of you, for your opening statement. And I'm going to remind everyone, please keep on tagging me at Amy Newman with your questions for the Q&A, as well as sending in any super chats that will send yours right to the front of the queue. However, with that, I'm now going to hand it over to all four of you for the up to 50 minutes of open discussion. The floor is all yours. Um, I just wanted to talk more about my medical history because I was, believe it or not, it's going to sound like unbelievable, but nobody actually told me that I was supposed to be on some kind of hormone right after the bottom surgery. I know this sounds ridiculous, but nobody has, not people who gave me hormones first time in my life. Um, not all the surgeons that did revisions on me over the years, because every time you go for a revision, you have to list the drugs you're on. And I told them like, I'm not on estrogen because I was young and dumb. And I saw estrogen was just like for titties and ass. And I was like, I look feminine enough. I don't want to gain weight because I always struggle with body dysmorphia and weight gain. So I was literally living with a medical doctor who is literally still a doctor, still has his own like plastic surgery practice in Florida. He knew I wasn't taking estrogen. I was living with this person for two years. He knew I wasn't taking any kind of hormone. So um, yeah, nobody told me it's, it's not just for TDs and us. It's for your bone health. It's for your mental health. It wasn't up until I started having back pains and I didn't know what it was. Um, I ended up having a bone scan and I realized like I had osteoporosis. I also went to a chiropractor who like sent me to x-rays and I had scoliosis as well. That's when I realized I had um, bone density loss because of lack of hormones in my body. Moreover, I had not only like I was never able to have sex the way I wanted after sacrificing my <laughs> healthy genitals. Um, I literally like was not even aware that I to be able to like even have interest in sex and be able to achieve any kind of orgasm, I needed to have some testosterone in my body. And I did not know that up until I started detransitioning recently and taking testosterone. That's when I finally got some kind of interest, you know, in being able in, in having sex or like masturbating. And I just have to put this out there, you know. 
uh, for people to know. And like, I literally could have at least been having like more orgasms had I known that I needed some testosterone because testosterone is oftentimes demonized in uh, M2F community as some things that like poisoned your body and put you through this like male puberty that destroyed you and made you look like a man. But it's needed for some, for health benefits and um, also to have sex drive. You know, what's the point of looking like a beautiful woman when you have no interest in any kind of intimacy other than cuddling, you know, and uh, I am a homosexual transsexual. So like I I'm attracted to men. And for me, like I wanted vaginal depths. I wanted to have sex drive and nobody told me any of this. I was so scared of testosterone, you know, and um, I also struggled for all these years with brain fog, lethargy. I had no energy. My anxiety has been through the roof because I was just a castrated man. I couldn't even be in the room alone without getting like panic attacks now i got my testosterone back at least i can travel and be in a hotel room by myself if i need to before i couldn't even do that without being apart from my cats which just give me anxiety so i didn't know that you know nobody explained anything to me I also want to mention that when I started taking estrogen, my mental health actually declined. And I believe estrogen induced bottom dysphoria in my case, because before taking estrogen, I was fine with my penis. But after I started taking estrogen, I became really dysphoric. I didn't want people like seeing my penis or touching it. So I believe like, and my therapist thought that I was just like in a wrong body. And I also made myself believe that I needed to have bottom surgery to feel complete, you know, but in fact, my mental health declined since, and I regret um, my medical transition. I even regret the top surgery because I have a lump in my breast and eventually I'll have to remove my implants anyway, but I'll never get back my original body right now. Once I do it, I'm going to look like F2M. I'm going to have like scars and um, yeah, I completely regret it. And they're also super heavy and they're already hurting my back. That's already weak. Yeah, well, I, I want to um, also point out, and because thank you for sharing all that, and I, I I'm really sorry that that was your experience because, especially when you seek the help of of medical professionals, of course you always think no, but like they are medical professionals, they have my best interests at heart. I'm seeking their guidance because they're experts in this, and so to to do that and then have it turn out so poorly is is awful, and and no one des- deserves to to go through that. Um, I do want to point out that another something that's interesting that I notice a parallel um, is for um, women who take birth control. Um, A lot of times, so some of the um, side effects that you mentioned where feeling depressed or um, in some cases, like the reason I can't do um, hormonal birth control is because I... I no longer have control over my emotional responses, or at least that's how it felt. And I've had that before. Um, but, you know, I knew that that was a risk going into it, you know, where it's like, okay, know to be on the lookout for these potential side effects. And then we can reassess whether or not this treatment is right for you. And then I ultimately um, went with um, the the copper IUD because the one with hormones bad idea, like just was not, um, my body was not responding well to that. So, um, I, I guess I have a question for you then shape. If, do you think if, had you been given, um, this information ahead of time, knowing the side effects or being, um, briefed, do you think that would have changed, um, 
your your decision making process? Um, just like other, I mean, I knew that with estrogen, I was gonna gain weight and get more emotional. Like that's obviously like obvious side effects. Just like you know, a lot of uh, D trans women get accused, like, uh, how the hell did you not know that your voice was gonna get deeper? I think like other D trans people and some trans people have other comorbidities and one of them is OCD. So the minute I saw that I was trans, I got so obsessed with transition. And plus that narrative that if you don't transition, you're going to be at a high risk of suicide. And for somebody who struggled with mental health my whole life, to me, I was like, okay, whatever, I'll be like, actually, here's what happened. I was literally on estrogen just for a year in my life because I want, um, I was told that I needed to be a year to get maximum breast growth before top surgery. That's what I was told. And that's what I was on estrogen for. Yeah. And then when I went off it, you know, and I, but I think it permanently did affect the way I saw it and having estrogen in my body kind of confused me about my biological reality. I went from being a proud trans woman and being fine with my penis to being full on convinced that I was like a real full on woman. And there is no difference between me and biological woman <laughs> that pushed me into like um, bottom surgery. I feel like, yes, I knew about those side effects, such as gaining weight and all that. But um, I guess nobody told me that you could feel actually more depressed because I felt like as a trans woman taking estrogen should have made me more happy because from what I've read online, everybody was like, oh my God, I'm finally on the right hormone. And I feel so euphoric. But for me, it actually looking back, it went down the hill. And I just was so obsessed with the final goal that I was like, I just need to complete my transition and live as a woman and then things will be better that maybe I was kind of ignoring red flags, but also like I had mental health professionals that probably could have maybe clocked that maybe some of my increased um, mental health problems could be due to estrogen, you know, and mm -hmm. me being just a dude who was getting castrated, you know, or like, it sounds like, um, it sounds like you were sorry for interrupting. Um, but yeah, that, that is really Man, helpful. Stop being transphobic and speaking over trans people. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, that Maddie. Um, but yeah, I, I think it sounds like though, and I think it, it, you, you alluded to it towards the end, how if you were, you know, in, um, in treatment for mental health things, and, and I've been in treatment since I was a teenager, so I, I understand, and I, it sounds like, um, maybe if had there been someone who you could have seen that was more specialized in care. So had experience with people who um, are, are struggling with like gender identity or gender dysmorphia and were more familiar with how that um, wow. doesn't just have like physical, like it, it has a effects on your mental health, but also once you start transitioning, there's another, you know, list of, of, hurdles to to know when to jump over or to avoid or right. things to just um, be mindful of uh i just want to clarify like i always struggled with mental health and i grew up in a third world country where like mm -hmm. mental health is not something that's addressed unless you're like full-on like <laughs> crazy quote unquote to the point that you can't function in society so the first mental health i ever received was to get surgeries for i mean letters for the surgery <laughs> that's like the sad part i was prescribed uh, hormones at fenway health which is one of the largest 
LGBTQ, I guess, plus whatever hospitals, you know, and these people were supposed to be experienced with trans care. And I think that's where the problem lies. It was more of an exodus hospital. And I think they were going to affirm it no matter what, instead of like looking at other issues that could have made me feel like I was uh, supposed to be a woman. Like I was internalizing a lot of homophobia. I had OCD and borderline personality disorder. All those things I actually didn't know I had till later, till after I had the surgery. (laughs) So somehow they never like counseled me and pointed out that I could have other issues. I also actually have body dysmorphia. You keep on saying gender dysmorphia. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's a new word you invented, I guess. (laughs) Just being Uh, transphobic. I'm sorry. I was diagnosed with gender identity disorder because I'm old, I guess. So back then it was not gender dysphoria. It was gender identity disorder. But I realized actually this year when I went to a different therapist, that was not a gender therapist. Uh, because I told her, like, no matter what surgeries I got, I still felt ugly and I felt uncomfortable in my body. And despite, like, people say, oh, you're gorgeous, you're beautiful, like, I could only focus on scars on my body, on my, like, neo vagina and all that. And she told me, you have body dysmorphia, and then things clicked. Like, <laughs> I had abusive childhood, I had sexual trauma, and I did more research, and I definitely, like, no matter how much I modified body, my body, like, that feeling of not feeling right never went away so now I kind of still unpacking everything that happened to me you know and I realized I have all those other mental issues that created dysphoria you know (laughs) and I think that's what I would like to promote moving forward when I definitely like people say that I'm transphobic and all that but like people are definitely struggling with dysphoria but I think the first line when people come to therapists or voice concerns about dysphoria, we need to unpack like what exactly are they dysphoric about? Is it having certain type of hair? Is it, is it something else? You know, is it something that could be fixed before like radical medical interventions such as like drugs and surgeries? And I feel like I wish I was shown more like mental health help more than like just sessions to get the letters for the surgery. <laughs> Cause that's how it went down for me. You know, even though mental health is something I struggled with, I only went to therapists when it was time to get letters for the surgery. And that was the only time I went to therapists. And then I saw therapists a few times after the surgery and that's it. And then recently I went to therapy again once I was like super suicidal and decided to try to do transition, you know? All right. I'm coming in for blood. Okay. Because I, I love the the sharing of personal experiences. I know that that's super helpful, but I'm here for blood. Okay. I want, I want tears. I want everybody to be in tears when we leave. So when you guys are talking specifically about detransitioners being like ignored by the left, what does that mean? Like, what would you like to see in lieu of what's happening right now? I mean, we've seen Tucker Carlson platform a few detransitioners. We haven't seen Rachel Meadow talk to any detransitioners. You know, I would love to talk to Rachel Meadow and not her, but like, I mean, her or somebody else on the left. Honestly, I'm new to politics. When I was convinced I was a woman, I was I was playing a stereotype. You know, I was like not into politics, not into finance. <laughs> now I'm kind of like learning like what's left, what's right. Like again, I'm politically homeless, but I would love to share my story with left audience because we've been demonized as anti-trans and some people sometimes say oh you're just a cis girl who is who's just a right winger like I'm not I wasn't born a woman and I'm not a full-on right winger I'm like center right I guess at this point (laughs) so if it's just the idea of people who are like platforming detrans voices so like your example with Tucker Carlson or like some right-wing media will do this um what do you say in response to like that they're that the left in general like CNN MSNBC all this other stuff they don't really platform trans people in general it's kind of like a very specific niche in conservative media and do you feel like that does more damage because from my perspective when you look at it a lot of these people like don't actually give a shit 
about D-trans people or D-trans issues or offering them support or community. They want to take D-trans people and make an example out of them and say, this is why we should be scared of transness, right? I agree with you. I mean, there is definitely some people who are like full-on transphobic, but there's definitely some people who are just concerned. And honestly, when I was receiving medical care, I was I thought I was in good hands because I thought I am in America, like people in white coats know what the hell they're doing. And honestly, I never wanted this. When people say like, oh, I'm a grifter and I'm doing this for attention. Like I much rather have my health back. You know, I wish I never went down this route. And I will talk to anybody who will talk to me and raise awareness. And hopefully at least one person who needs to hear it will hear it and make the right decision. And yes, I am worried that sometimes I'm aligning with the wrong people, but that's what it came down to. Because when I have videos from four years ago talking about my complications and nobody cared. I feel betrayed and gaslit by trans community because they kept on telling me that I was just 1% um, like fluke regret rate, you know, like from complications and just regret. But so many people reached out to me in privacy and told me about their complications. There are people with colostomy bags. There are people who are numb from the waist down from bottom surgery. There are people who can't pee properly. They have to dilate their urethra. But guess what? None of the surgeons or therapists who gave me letters, they never checked on me. They have no idea. Maybe I killed myself. Am I happy? Nobody ever called me and not sent me a single email. So we're not, there is no follow-up, you know, I feel like trans people deserve better. I think a lot of people just really getting surgeries now at 18, 19, thinking that they're just going to go have one surgery and walk away with a functional vagina or a penis, but that's not how it works. I think people are being lied to, you know, and honestly, they should be aware that honestly, there's really no studies showing that bottom surgery helps anybody's mental health. In fact, there's studies showing the opposite, that suicidality went up compared to general population. And people should- Well, the I'm Swedish study actually shows it. the opposite. The Swedish study specifically states that post-sex reassignment surgery, suicidality is decreased. It isn't decreased to like cis uh, counterparts, but is decreased significantly. Um, with uh, the studies that I saw, it's, it's shown the so opposite. I mean- there's a lot I that I, I'd like to touch on here. Um, so I, I think that, um, so, so Shape and I both had cases of, uh, could you just tell me the title of this? I'm on my phone as a camera, so I, I, can, uh, I can search on my computer, but what's the title of the study? Um, it's, the, it's the big Swedish one. It's the long-term follow-up of transsexual persons undergoing sex reassignment surgery. It's the Swedish study. And um, I'm also going to drop this in the chat as well, because the author of this study has gone and done multiple AMAs on various different platforms, because everybody is illiterate and can't read. And she's come out and said specifically that within this study, suicidality is decreased, but it doesn't decrease to like cis levels, right? Where it's like suicidality for trans people is here, free up trans people, suicidality for post-op trans people is here. And then suicidality for cis people is here. There's still a significant decrease in suicidal ideation, but it doesn't match like cis, uh, like the cis controls. But it, but it's better. Um, it, it shows improvement compared to trans counterparts who did yes. had not undergone surgery. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, while Kat is looking into it, just since we're on Sweden, Sweden was one of the first countries, and in general, Northern Europe, that's considered to be open minded countries. So we're one of the forefront countries to start like doing surgeries and helping trans people with medical transition. And I remember my surgeon who did my first surgery, he's one of the oldest surgeons in the country who still does the surgeries, Dr. Sherman Liz. He always showed off how he trained in Sweden and all that. And Sweden and Finland are now backtracking on a lot of like medicalization of kids and all that. So like, and we're kind of still behind. I feel like 
and they have some studies. I think me and Kat saw that when uh, we were at a conference together, uh, at a hearing together. They show that uh, a lot of suicidality goes like up in after 10 years after transition. Yeah, so I'm not interpreting, uh, like I'm reading the discussion for this study right now. And yeah, it says mortality from suicide was strikingly high among sex reassigned persons also after adjustment for pri prior psychiatric morbidity. In line with this, sex reassigned persons were at increased risk for suicide attempts. Um, yeah, so if you, I don't know if, can I send this to you on Twitter? I don't know if you have access to the chat. Sex reassignment alleviates gender dysphoria. There is a need to identify and treat co-occurring psych psychiatric morbidity in transsexual persons, not only before, but after sex reassignment. So uh, do you want me so to, I can send these to you on, on Twitter if you want to, because the author of this study has come out and said specifically that the findings interpret that post-op trans people have a lower suicidality than pre-op people. Um, it's just doesn't meet the threshold of like the cis control. Um, I can send them to you on the, like the, the discussion pieces that she's done after the fact on Twitter. Um, I put them in the chat on here, but if you're on your phone, I don't know if well, you um And I just want to say, if you put them on Twitter, I will also make sure that the links go into the uh, our chat here yeah, as well. Yeah, put them in the, in the group chat really quick. Even though surgery and hormonal therapy alleviates gender dysphoria, it is apparently not sufficient to remedy the high rates of morbidity and mortality found among transsexual persons. Yeah, so, the, like I just said, the suicidality is still elevated, but it's not, it's lower than people who are pre-op. It's still uh, like there. That means that, like, just by by the the by being identifying as trans, whether or not you've gone through any sort of medical transition, suicidality is is higher um, than their cis counterparts. I think um, a lot of the studies show that that is mostly correlated to pressures or, or stigmas. Um, even even Lisa Littman's detransition studies echoes the same thing, where a lot of mm -hmm. it is societal pressures. But if we're talking specifically about the, uh, the Swedish study, it's like the suicidality is lower than non-transitioning trans people, but it's still higher than cis controls. And that's to be expected with like a marginalized group. And I'm sure that if you looked into it too, detransition people have like extremely high um, rate for suicidality as well. It's not just because they're detransitioning just because a lot of the uh, the things that come along with it, right, like complications or dissatisfaction or dysmorphia or whatever, it's not just like they got surgery. They're not going to kill themselves. They did get surgery. They are going to kill themselves. It's it's a little bit different, right? Did it ever cross your mind that maybe some people... I have to push back on that uh, when it comes to the detransitioners. The major reason people detransition is because of social influences, social pressure, um, that sort of thing. So that survey that that data comes from was a survey of... A population that still identifies as trans and there's been two surveys um, one came out in or sorry both were from 2021 one was by Ellie Vandenbush um, and the other one was Lisa Littman and th these were surveys of specifically detransitioners and external pressures in both studies was one of the rarest reasons for detransitioning. And I'm looking That's at the least not true at all. Right now, the most frequent <laughs> endorsed reason for wanting to transition or wanting to be perceived as target gender. Um, you more than a third of the studies the like you did with yours. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I just I had it right here. I just said I'm looking at it right now. I just sent another, um, and this is from 2021. And I know, um, Shape, you had mentioned um, Fenway. This was a study conducted by Fenway Health. Um, and what it found was that um, the main reasons, the most common reason cited for detransition was pressure from a parent at 35.5%. 
Um, at 32%, it was pressure from their community or societal stigma. Um, and, and then what population is this? 20, what? this is, this is, um, for those who had detransitioned. So and people who no longer identify as trans, it's um, and they, they were asked why they had chosen to, um, detransition. And these were the reasons that were cited. And of all of that, um, only 2.4% of those people who reported post detransition, um, attributed this to doubt about their gender identity, while only 10.4% attributed their post detransition to fluctuations in gender identity or desire. Um, and again, this is just what the, the data is showing. And those results are echoed through a number of studies where it seems as though um, the main reason for um, a lot of these people to detransition so is, is directly correlated with societal. This is so funny currently identified because... transgender people. This is currently identified transgender people who have detransitioned de at some point. This is not the same population being surveyed in the Littman study and also in the Vandenbush study. It's so yeah, and so the Littman study still cites thirty eight percent as other, external we pressures. We know from these other studies that the majority of detransitioners in in both studies, the vast majority, no longer identify as trans. So that would Sorry, have left them I'm... out. I'm a little confused. Sorry, just I just want to make sure um, I get some clarification. Yeah. So when you say um, they're they are not trans, or I I guess my assumption was that in the study where they show people they followed um, a, a number of people over the course of a certain set of years, and then of that initial um, population, there was a subset that chose to detransition or you know revert back to identifying as the the gender they were assigned at birth um would that not be classified as well they are no longer trans because they had chosen to detransition i i guess i'm just confused on where that difference in like definition is so you're you're pulling from the so it's the one defend my health, health right mm -hmm. from 2021 so that pulls mm -hmm. from the 2015 u.s transgender survey so this is surveying a population of people who said yes to the question, do you identify as transgender or gender diverse? I think it is. Um, and, and so most detransitioners, which has been, you know, obviously more research into this is needed. I'm not saying this is 100% definitive, but so far the two studies on a population who say they are detransitioners, um, the majority of them do not. Uh, they did not transition because of external pressures. They de they detransitioned uh, mostly because they became more 60% because they became more comfortable identifying with their birth sex and about half of them because of medical com uh, complications. So that was in one study. Um, and then the other one, 70%, uh, this is from Vanden Bush 2021, they realized their dysphoria was related to other issues, 70% and 60% were due to health health concerns, only 13% detransitioned due to lack of social support. Um, and only 10% said it was because of discrimination. So and that's, so that that's only people that I that's only people that say I do not identify as this. It's, it's of people who say they have detransitioned specifically. But and so and so those people whether and that's regardless if they identify as trans or not. 
Um, it's just people that have detransitioned. Of people who say they have detransitioned, only a, a, a small minority still identify as transgender or non-binary. The majority, um, you know, ha- go back to living as their birth gender. So, so the survey from 2015, it was surveying transgender adults. So of the people who are still trans identified, it makes sense that, you know, the reason they may have detransitioned at some point was an external factor because they still identify as trans, but that's not what we're seeing with uh, detransitioners. So it's, it's just not an act. It's not an accurate characterization of people who detransition. And furthermore, we don't actually know that transitioning is rare, de- sorry, that detransitioning is rare because again, um, most we, of the studies designed on detransitioning w- are designed to leave most detransitioners out. Um, because also from the Littman study, we know that the majority of detransitioners, all well, less than a quarter actually had reported to their medical provider. So most do not go back to the same clinic or medical provider. Um, right. And, and, in a, and a bunch of those studies, just sorry to, sorry to barge in, but um, in a number of those studies, one of the issues that a lot of people take with it were that when people did not return to the um, medical facility or to the doctor, the assumption was then made, oh, they must not be transitioning anymore. They must have detransitioned. And so they mark it as that, ignoring that there are plenty of reasons why someone may not return to a certain medical facility that don't involve, you know, oh, well, they were just going to mark it as they detransitioned. Um, I know there was a big study in 2013 that's cited pretty frequently um, for people who maybe want to put more strict controls on gender affirming care. And they cite that study while not maybe not acknowledging or like conveniently ignoring that the way that data was presented wasn't necessarily reflective of um, the behavior of those those subjects. So just I just wanted to point that out that like that is another issue um, in terms of of deriving findings. Well, and the um, WPATH survey from 2018 had the same thing where they would mark mm-hmm. it if there was no responses. Yes. And even with that, the cohort, it was like 0.01% of people detransitioned. Like, and I, and I've worked in, I worked in marketing for a long time. I've conducted studies like this and that's why, um, methodology and documentation is so critical in these because you can make data kind of say whatever you want if you assign certain values to different behaviors or phenomena that you uh, see happen, um, whether it's people, it, it's a study where people are simply answering questions or whether it's like a behavioral study. Um, well, I, don't it know, can skew. I don't know about the study from, from 2013 that you're referring. I haven't personally seen a study where the methodology was used that if a person didn't follow up with the clinic, they were considered detransition. Um, I've, I've never seen anything like that. Um, I'm, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to take a look. Um, but so um. the, the three largest studies on detransition that exist besides the one from 2015 were done by combing through medical records and only people who had reported detransition were, um, were considered to have detransition. And yes, those, those detransition rates in these three studies were all less than 1%. Um, however, since we know that since, you know, most detransitioners have said they do not go back to their provider, they do not tell the clinic. Um, again, that, that is leaving out a particular, potentially large percentage of people. And so I agree with you that data can be, you know, interpreted and, you know, twisted to fit a certain narrative. But um, the truth is, is that, you know, the research that exists is simply not, it's not strong enough to claim that less than 1% 
detransition. Um, well, I, and I, I included, <laughs> sorry, I just want to say I included the, the link to the study in the, the chat here, but all right, sorry, you can go for it. Name of it. I'm sorry, because I'm just on my computer, so I, I'm not able to go from the chat, but uh, oh. can you just tell me the name put of it? it? Uh, put it on the Twitter chat. Can you get on the Twitter chat on your phone? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll share it on the Twitter chat. Uh, I just wanted to say uh, Dr. Alex Krigillan, who was mentioned in this Fenway link, he was my therapist, <laughs> who was one of the mental health professionals who gave me one of the two letters for the surgery is that kind of forever changed my timeline and not for the better. And also I've been trying to reach him and tell him that I regret my transition and I haven't been able to even reach him because I'm actually in a different study at Fenway. And I've been telling them that I'm detransitioning. I've been telling them I have a YouTube channel and they've been completely ignoring me, actually. <laughs> the, honestly, I've been trying to reach Dr. Alex Kugelian and tell him like, hey, like I'm detransitioning. Like I, I regret like bottom surgery and I haven't been able to even reach him. I wonder, all they had to do is just send me an email and see how I'm doing. <laughs> and I would have said not so well. <laughs> you know, it's weird that they are like doing the studies, but they never reached out to me and it's hard for me to reach to him. So just putting it out there. And Fenway Health is an activist hospital there, which I guess can be biased as well. You know, they want certain type of outcome from their data. Maddie, would you mind just telling me the name of that study? Because I um, I am not a, a member of the group chat. I asked to be added, but I... Oh, I shoot. Yeah. So um, if I could just search it really quick, that would be great. Yeah. So the name of the study is called um, Factors... Is, uh, well, it's kind of a long title. Um, oh, that's but the it's, one from Jack Turbin, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't think that... Mm -mm. It's from, it's just called Factors Associated with Desistance and Persistence of Childhood Gender Dysphoria, a Quantitative Follow-Up Study. And um, Thomas D. Steensma. Okay. okay, so yeah, in this one, we're talking about, about adolescents and it's, it's a sample of 127 people. Okay, thank you. Yep, no problem. Um, yeah. And then, so there was another one I was, um, looking at, and I believe this one is, um, yeah, Turbin. It's the, the Turbin study that you would reference. And I know that, um, a lot of that is pulling from the, um, I think what you said, the National Trans Survey. Um, yeah, so and that's where. Yeah. And, but there were some interesting findings from that. And that was research where, um, the sample size was just over 17,000 people. And that's people who had ever socially transitioned. So separate from medical transitioning. And it found that 86.9% persisted in their gender, gender identity. So like, I think you're right in saying that, you know, it's saying that only 1% don't is, is misleading because you're right. Like there, it looks the the truth is that it in this particular case and with other cases that I've seen, it's probably closer to about you know fourteen to fifteen percent. Um, but of those, a little uh, just over two thousand people who reported that they had reverted back to living as the gender that they were assigned at birth, um, only about fifteen percent of that group. Um, said they did so because of internal factors, such as questioning their experienced gender. Um, but more often, the, the rationale given was that 
it because of fear, mental health issues, um, or suicide. I'm sorry, that's part of it. So fear, mental health issues, and suicide attempts, um, and not identifying with the gender and like dissatisfaction. Um, the rest of the report okay. said that it was mainly social, economic, and familial stigma and discrimination that was a primary driving factor. But again, characterizing those people as detransitioners, um, it's the population that was being surveyed makes those results not applicable to the majority what, of people who identify wouldn't, as detransitioners. Why wouldn't you? So even though they've now reverted back to living as the gender with which they were assigned, and these are people that um, didn't necessarily begin medical transition, they had just um, had begun social transition. What about them um, doesn't make them a, a detransitioner when they well, had yeah, initiated the 15, that transition and then and then gone back? Why wouldn't the 15 that? 15% of the 15% who, you know, did identify as trans and now have, you know, returned to living as their birth sex. Um, I mean, it's a miracle that any of them even appeared at all, because in a sample that you know, the survey is sent out and it's, and it says, you know, are, do you identify as transgender and, or, you know, gender diverse? And so if a survey like that goes out, you know, most, the majority of detransitioners are going to steer clear of that. Um, you know, they, they no longer identify that way. And a lot of us have been harmed by gender care. And, you know, a lot of us feel that socially transitioning and just embracing the ideology at all was harmful to us psychologically. And so, you know, um, and, you know, also based on the, the studies of specifically detransitioners. Uh, so anyway, that, that is a, is a different population than a population of detransitioners. So, you know, while it, you know, maybe useful to study a population that is trans identified for other reasons, um, it's, it's, it's not an accurate characterization of detransitioners. It's, it's two completely different do you, populations. Do you have any I mean, data? Sorry, go for it, Malcolm. I was going to say, you can make the same argument for the Lippman study because she does snowball sampling on like RD trans closed Facebook groups on Tumblr, Twitter, Reddit, all this other stuff. You could say the same thing that we're going to see like this massive selection bias, just like you saw with the ROGD study where it was snowball sampling from like fourth wave now. So like it's, I understand where you're coming from, where like the nitty gritty of this is somewhat important. Like where are these samples coming from? Like, are they representative of the target population that we're looking to sample? But the, the, the reality is, is that the studies that are going to be the most reliable are ones that are done by servers uh, or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Fuck providers offering that service like those surveys are going to be the ones that are the most reliable because like maddie said in a lot of these what they're doing is if they are if they're not following up they're checking off the box that says oh well this person probably changed their mind and if we look at uh physician surveys those are going to be the most accurate because we're not snowball sampling out of like specifically ideologically charged groups i would be just as skeptical if we did like you know a study that was like how happy are you with like your bottom surgery results but we only snowball sampled like pro bottom surgery groups are like bottom surgery is amazing bottom surgery is so much fun and it's free and it changed my life for the better i would have the same kind of critiques and so if we look at things like the Lippman study we're also having those issues which is why i always defer back to the wpath survey that was done where they survey providers because regardless of what we're talking about if we're snowball sampling on the internet we're gonna have a big issue with our biases with our, our population and i but sorry sorry shape i just want to say something really quick so the both detransitioners that are here today would not qualify mm -hmm. for inclusion in, in the 2015 trans transgender survey. I'm not, I'm not talking about that one. I'm not, talking, not talking about that, about one. I'm that talking one. I'm talking about the WPATH survey that was WPATH done in 2018. One in 2018. Um, mm -hmm. But doesn't that draw, I think we just established that draws from the same 
population no. though. It draw mm-hmm. it's it was a physician survey. So they sent out surveys to uh, providers that perform gender affirming care, um, including surgeries and hormones. And they surveyed, have you ever encountered a patient that has regret? Um, what was the reason for that reported regret? Um, did they uh, no longer identify as trans? Was it because of medical complications or anything like that? And it's a reported survey from providers that provide that care. It's not um, from the people who are receiving the care. It's from the providers that offer that care. Well, I would, you know, given some of the recommendations that WPATH puts forward as part of their guidelines, such as eunuchs and uh, performing surgeries on children, I would be skeptical of. of You're just going to hand wave them asking providers to offer this service. You're just going to hand wave that because they they wrote a standard of care that you don't like. I'm reading through (laughs) it right now. I can't, it's it's hard for me to, to, you know, to look at the the details of the methodology while being present for this debate. I, you know, I I will look into it. Um, However, you know, I, I don't believe that that is an unbiased source, as you're suggesting, but um, I'd like to hear, uh, Shape, what did you have to say? It's back to WPAS, the president of it, Marcy Bowers, who has a private clinic and has been making millions of dollars for years from trans surgeries. And I just want everyone to know that Marcy Bowers literally officially stated that all the kids have been blocked out on time stage two, uh, M2Fs will never have an orgasm because they never had testosterone in their body. So, I mean, I think that's bullshit. I want to see yeah, a that sounds like of, bullshit to me. I want to see a source no. from that other than Marcy Bowers. Okay, sure. From Marcy Bowers? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because I could say that I saw a purple alien yesterday and it's like, well, no, it's Dr. Malcolm. This is not a purple alien, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. I've seen it too. Testosterone. Shape, are you able to share your screen? Also, uh, I like don't no. have a lot of testosterone and I orgasm just fine. Based. But they were so their reproductive organs are they literally never develop. So right. they, they will experience sexual dysfunction because it's you can they argue never fertility, but there's you experience yeah. that and, and there's no data on this at all work if you have if you can have if you have data that shows that this is largely like a, a big point. problem then it, otherwise it's anecdotal and while like it sucks if someone experiences that themselves and like i have a lot of sympathy for that because it whenever you have any sort of medical procedure and you experience negative side effects like that sucks it it is it sucks but at the same time to then attribute it to saying this um is going to happen to everyone else um then it's like no it's anecdotal it's personal it doesn't make it suck less but like let's call it what it is but you're a natal female comparing your experience to a man who has a new vagina it's a completely different story you know saying that you're able to orgasm because females naturally have some testosterone my testicles have been removed i don't think it's a fair comparison i don't have testicles so my testosterone doesn't come from that either okay but your biology is different you're a woman but would you say that that was because you um just weren't like it sounds to me like you were working with doctors who didn't communicate certain things to you they also didn't have you on specific like the the proper um set of of hormones and other things like and that sucks like i shape i'm my heart breaks for you because it sucks that you experience that like it it makes me really mad because we do entrust our medical team like who whether it's for um, gender affirming surgery, whether it's like for cardiac care, we trust them to have our best interests in, at heart and to give us care to make sure that we're being healthy and happy. But at the same time, like 
I don't know. It, it's like missing the the forest for the trees where in this particular instance, it sounds like there was just a lot of missed opportunities to provide information and education so that you could make a truly informed decision. Um, but um, I would, I would hesitate to um, I was, identify that yeah. as a larger trend. Well, I was, I was again, treated at Fenway hospital for you know, that's the hospitals that gave me letters for the surgery and gave me hormones, you know, Fenway Health, literally. And uh, surgeons that worked on me are still working on people, you know, till today. Uh, Dr. Sherman Lee still has his practice open. All, all the surgeons have never stopped performing surgeries. It's way too lucrative. I just sent you a YouTube uh, video. You can just watch first three seconds where Marcy Bowers admits that anybody who had blockers, um, M2F are not going to have an orgasm. So how kids can opt out of ability to orgasm when they never had one? I don't think it's fair. Are you saying that every, wait, are you saying that like you're, she's like every kid who's taken. Yeah. The argument is that every kid that gets, that takes uh, hormone blockers before. Not not, not, not F2Ms. F2Ms. I'm talking about M2Fs. That's the the only person that's ever said that is Marcy Bowers, and she just says that she doesn't really have anything to stand on. It's just like what she she's so so I'm gonna interrupt True. all four of that's you. Uh, shape, yeah. Shapeshifter, if you get that link to me into Twitter, I will get it into the chat here. But I also okay. just want to say that we have about ten more minutes of open discussion for the panel, and then we're gonna move into the Q and A. So please keep on sending in those chats and super chats. And if you enjoy the debate, please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. But right back over to you all. So um, I can definitely. Um, so nearly every detransitioner I've ever talked to. Uh, expresses similar concerns about the quality of care that they received. And, and, and going beyond detransitioners, something that trans activists often advocated for is called the, uh, the informed consent model. And uh, in your opening statement, Maddie, uh, you, you said that in California, I, I believe you said you're based in California and that here really comprehensive care is provided. Um, I guess for- it depends. Yeah, I did say that. And, and I guess it really does depend on like what, I don't know, different hospital systems or medical, whatever are like different, like Sutter Health is going to be, or Kaiser is going to be different than like Stanford Healthcare. But overall, um, yeah, so, yeah. so I know a detransitioner from Kaiser who's who currently suing, uh, she transitioned prior to the age of 18 and she she's currently um, suing her provider at Kaiser. Um, because one thing I hear from, I hear over and over again th- through people who went through Kaiser, went through Planned Parenthood, uh, um, especially as a big one. Um, I was affirmed after 30 minutes at Planned Parenthood. I was prescribed testosterone uh, on my first appointment, which was a telehealth appointment. And um, so they never met me in person. I picked up my prescription. Yeah, how old were you? I, I was in my late 20s. Um, but this is something I hear from like nice. Chloe Cole. She was affirmed immediately at age, I think, 13. And I hear this from parents all the time of, um, you know, either children who are currently trans identified or desisted children that um, providers are affirming immediately. And, you know, this is something that the informed and consent model, the trans activists Mm -hmm. encourage, um, you know, that is something they're, they're calling for. Like they're, they're calling for there to be fewer barriers for people to access gender care, not more. And yet, you know, people are being harmed by this. Um, I think if, you know, when you have people coming in with comorbidities and 
a lot of times someone who's suffering uh, from severe distress about their body, you know, a, a lot of times they tend to have comorbid mental illnesses. And, you know, these people are being affirmed immediately. And this is, a, this is something I hear over and over again. Um, so I don't think it's just a, you know, an, un an unusual rare occurrence like Shapeshifter is describing or like I'm describing where the care is not comprehensive. It's very much putting people on a conveyor belt towards transitioning and not considering, you know, A, the risks and B, you know, if this person can truly provide informed consent. So while, while I can't answer for specific doctors um, handling it differently, I can speak to the guidelines and um, proposed process that the folks at um, the Endocrine Society um, recommend for, um, and this is specifically for um, minors who are experiencing um, just questioning of their, their gender identity. And um, it's also- I think um, we need to get into, into it with the kids though, right? Because nobody here transitioned when they were a kid. That's, that's also like, true. Yeah, yeah. Because it's about yeah. detransitioning. But I will say mm -hmm. that like, and I, I only speak to the, the process because it's something, um, and this is also the um, American Academy of Pediatrics, but overall, they have a pretty set recommendation for um, how to address at each stage um, a, a patient who is um, considering transitioning and making sure that the care is individualized so that they are properly evaluated and that, you know, the goal isn't necessarily medical transition. It's more like giving them the treatment they need um, to align with um, how they see themselves to put them in a position for a better mental health outcome or just life outcome in general. And for some people that involves medical transition, but for a lot of people that social transition is um, is enough for getting um, some sort of like psychological help, counseling. Um, but they they have a pretty strict, I know I don't want to say strict, but like very set um, recommended guidelines. So it, it sounds like you, if, if the question is, you know, how do we prevent people from making snap decisions? Um, would well, you no say thing. that implementing stricter, like guidelines for that care or like stricter, like protocols is what it, it, would that be? Would you think that would be like a, a more desirable outcome? Of course, so, we need gatekeeping as soon as possible because a lot of people that think they're trans are not trans and they're not going to benefit from the surgeries. You know, they're going to have their body permanently altered, you know, and um, especially children. You know, because because I mean, I don't think anyone under eighteen can consent to, to any of this. You know, as children get. Um, do you have a problem with cis children getting hormone treatments or SSRIs or stimulants? I mean, um, I wasn't stimulants. Well, I, I fucked up my health. So yeah, SSRIs problem. will fuck you up real hard. Oh, team SSRIs, right know, here. What's up? Dude, that benzo induced mania is fucking wicked. Benzos <laughs> are a whole that... different animal. Benzos are scary. It's, like it's fucking scary that they give like minors uh, well butrin and shit. But that's I mean, so have puberty blockers. I ask. They still have risks, but with puberty blockers for gender dysphoria, there's never been any clinical trials. And and furthermore, this is a you know this is a uh, a pro this is altering the body to treat mental illness, and this isn't this isn't the type of care that we use to treat 
But we, we don't use body modification do you think, as a treatment for anorexia. Well, or that's for, that's think, why. Well, uh, wait, whoa, whoa, sorry, whoa, whoa. sorry, no, go. What, I want stop silencing trans people, Maddie. Stay in your <laughs> lane. Oh my God. <laughs> So the thing, two things. The first thing is that we know what Lupron does to the body. It doesn't magically have a different effect because we're using it in trans kids. Hormone blockers have been used for decades in cis kids to treat precocious puberty. It's been close to 40 years now. We do do have a good, we have, can I finish please? Thank you. We have a decent body of work as to like what these do to the body and we're pretty aware of it. So there are side effects and there are risks to every medication. Absolutely. That's unquestionable. But to pretend that it magically does something different in trans kids versus cis kids is not true. Second of all, the reason that we don't treat anorexia by giving people liposuction and like telling them to, you know, binge and purge every single day and only eat like two almonds for lunch is because it's a dysmorphic disorder. When you, you can give a, an anorexic person all of the interventions in the world, they can have 0% body fat. They could literally be a walking skeleton. And when they see themselves, they still have this warped perception of themselves. There is no tangible mm-hmm. end to what this is, right? They have a distorted view of reality. Dysphoria isn't a distorted view of reality. It's accepting reality and then wanting to change it or choosing to change it, right? Like I have huge juicy double D's and I don't want huge juicy double D's anymore. So I'm going to get them removed. That's different than being like, oh my God, I'm a hundred pounds, but I'm still like this fat fucking cow and it's disgusting. I shouldn't eat anything. Those are two totally different things that are not comparable at all. Well, believing that you are a man, if, if you're a woman, uh, or if you're, you know, if you're a child, believing you're a boy when you're a girl, I I would say that's an illusion. You know, I, I mean, I, I think it's like, no, it's, a, it's about the visual perception. Thing. It's about the visual perception because you can about... make an anorexic person be skin and bones and they'll still look in the mirror and see a fat cow. You can, you can have somebody who's dysphoric who looks in the mirror and acknowledges like, yes, I got a gorilla grip juicy pussy and like huge fucking gazongas, but I don't want that. It's the acknowledging of reality and wanting to change it. It's dysph- it's dysmorphic when you look at it and it's not a correct representation of what you visually see. Right. Um, also like what we talk about, I mean, the, the hormone treatments are one thing because those are things that have been used in cis minors for a long time for a variety of, of mental conditions. But, um, there's also, so recently I read this article about, um, a 14 year old boy who, um, because of a hormone, it's like in this innate condition he had, um, he grew boobs cisgender boy who identified as as a male who grew boobs and he ended up getting surgery to remove them because they made him self-conscious and were a product of this like unfortunate condition that he was then getting treatment for but like because he was going to school he was like feeling really insecure that he was a cisgendered man who had had tits um and he got them removed but i don't see people up in arms about him as a cis child getting gender affirming care in the same way I see people get up in arms about um, trans kids getting gender affirming care. It just feels like it's a moving goalpost. In that case, it's healthy children getting cosmetic medical interventions, you know, precocious puberty, like we can have a discussion about that, that that can cause issues later. So do you not think he should have been able to get that surgery? No, well, I don't think you should have because men can have boobs. Sorry, go ahead, Shay. I'm sorry to interrupt. First of all, when I went through puberty, I also had small TDAs, and I don't know until today. I wanted to get tested for intersex conditions, but it's apparently insurance doesn't cover it. Imagine it covers all other things, but I can't get tested for DSD conditions. And men ha- can have breasts. I date chubby guys; they have breasts. I mean, no, that this child should have not had. Gynomastia is different. It's like actual like B cups, like literal tits, like. Because bazongas, gazongas, bazong, I don't know. 
I think we should normalize men having I small breasts boobs. and I don't have to. moms wouldn't well, get in double mastectomies. I am actually going to now uh, separate but give each of you the chance to just um, surmise your position as well as tell everyone out there what you got going on in the world or the interwebs. Uh, this is right before we get into the Q&A, so please keep on sending in those questions. It really has been a great debate, so I want to thank all four of our interlocutors. But either way, whoever would like to go first, the floor is yours. Can I'll I go, go first, first so I can go to the bathroom? Can I go first so I go okay, to the bathroom? Really quick? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I'll be really quick. I just really have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I've um, heard one woman take teas. I have to pee often. So. True. I, well, who was that the, today that said that testosterone made them pee their pants? That's a really weird side effect. I've never heard of that one before, but I, had I guess it's coming well, for me. It, it I guess is it's a, coming a for me. It's coming for me. I haven't ever pissed my pants, but who knows? The future is bright and long. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I'm Malcolm. God damn it, Malcolm on everything. Um, I'm a trans guy. I talk about trans stuff as a trans guy. Um, I also have a decent amount of uh, mm -hmm. content talking to detransitioners and talking about detransition uh, topics. So I would like to um, offer this opportunity to Kat and Shape both if they ever wanted to talk. Um, I'm not nearly as spicy on like one-on-one -on -one conversations. This is supposed to be a debate. So, you know, we were here for blood. I wanted to bring a little blood. So um, that that is open if that's something that you guys would like to do in the future no no issues um my kind of final thing is i think that it's important to realize that um there are side effects and risks to every kind of medical procedure that we kind of undergo right um and some things don't work for some people there are certain ssris that don't work for some people like well butrin was horrible for me but i know for a lot of people well butrin was great um the same way that uh, transition has been really good for me and i'm really happy with my transition and maybe for cat and shape they don't feel the same way um but that doesn't mean that we just like pull the plug on that treatment just because there are people that are dissatisfied right i think that's kind of like a, a an insane way to approach it and if we're talking about um the left ignoring detransitioners i agree 100 with cat and with shape that there is a really big problem with the way that we abandon d trans people because they're not pursuing transition the way that we want to and i think that that's something that we need to work on for sure as leftists or people on the left or trans people or whatever group you're in because like d trans people are that are basically in the same boat right like just trying to be comfortable with themselves be happy with their body they need access to resources they need community they deserve to be able to talk about their stories right maybe i disagree with some of it and that's fine but that doesn't mean that they don't have a right to talk about their experiences and their stories and i think that we can do better in facilitating healthy relationships with d trans people that just because you know a cat or shape don't tra aren't transitioning anymore or they don't identify as trans anymore that doesn't mean it's just like fuck you get out of the community you have to burn every bridge that you've ever had i think that that's ridiculous and i think that we could be um we could be better about that and be kinder to each other about that so thank you that's all that's all i got all right i'll, I'll be back guys okay thank you so very much and whoever is next um, in line okay i guess i'll go um i still don't build i feel like if adults want to modify their bodies and want to achieve certain look, they have a right to, but I don't think it's fair for kids to raise their fertility and their health for a certain look. And I still believe kids under 18 should not be transitioning. I believe nobody should be getting genital surgeries under 25 because it takes people time to mature and realize who they are. Sexuality can change. Sometimes you feel like you don't need certain body part, but then you may want it later on. And I feel like data on both sides are riddled with uh, flaws and riddled with biases, um, but you cannot hide a body count. And I feel like these transitions are the body count. I do feel like current affirmation only model has a lot of flaws. There should be more pushbacks. There should be more mental health exploration before being 
people are allowed to have permanent body modification, especially genital surgery. And in time, everything will be revealed. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so very much, Malcolm and Shapeshifter. And who's ever next? I guess I'll go next. Um... So I, I'm Kat. I thought uh, this discussion did get a little bit heated at um, at one point, and you know I, I apologize for uh, you know if, if I was a little over the top at that part. I just I'm really passionate about the science because I, I do have a background in molecular biology, um, and so looking at the science and actually reading through these studies and the methodologies has been you know a big part of why I hold some of the positions that I do. And the truth is is that in medicine it's never safe until proven unsafe. It's, it's always unsafe until proven safe. Um, or in most cases, I mean, you know, there's, there's been lobotomies, there's been some other things, uh, thalidomide, things like that. But, you know, the vast majority of time, the vast majority of the time to recommend invasive treatments, you, you have to have extremely strong evidence for those treatments. And that is just simply not the case in trans healthcare. I do think um, just the studies in general, um, you know, even the studies on detransitioners, we need better quality data. And I think we have surged ahead with performing ex experimental procedures on people and um, prescribing hormonal, hor prescribing hormones that are actually known to be detrimental. So, so this, it's not the same level as like a side effect of, of a drug. Um, it's, it's the side effect is the effect. So we already know from studies on like female bodybuilders, for instance, or men with naturally high estrogen populations like that, we already know that, you know, high amounts of these substances can cause cancer. It can cause diabetes. It can cause stroke, um, heart attack, things like that. So, so we already know these substances are dangerous. And so, um, you know, I, I do believe in, you know, in freedom and I, 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 I understand the, the urge to transition and, you know, wanting to change your body to, make you feel more comfortable. And I, you know, I have the utmost um, empathy for that actually, but I, I do think that these surgeons and doctors are violating the Hippocratic oath by prescribing these treatments um, for in essentially every case, but especially under 18s, because again, children, you know, if they cannot consent to drinking alcohol, having a tattoo, um, they cannot make a decision about their fertility or their brain health or their bone health. I mean, there's already evidence um, that, that these medicate that the puberty blockers in particular are causing osteoporosis. So, so that's where I stand on the whole thing. Once again, I have immense compassion for anyone who identifies as trans, um, or, or you know, is, is feeling just gender dysphoria, discomfort in their own body. I, I, I empathize greatly with that. And, you know, I, I really wish them the best. And I, I would like to see other options for treating gender dysphoria being studied. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so hi, I'm, I'm Maddie Cakes. Um, and thank you again. Um, I know Kat said it did get a little spicy. I feel like this has been one of the most like respectful debates I've been a part of. So, um, like, while it did get spicy, like, I, I actually thought that the discussions that we were having, while both sides feel really strongly, clearly, um, I, I thought it was really productive and I enjoyed it. And so I want to thank both of you as well. Um, for being so open to not only like engaging with us, but also sharing your your own side of the story. Because one thing I think we can all agree on, and Malcolm touched on this um, in in his closing, that I I do think that 
the community, whether um, someone is trans, whether they are, are an ally, um, we need to be more accepting of people who, for whatever reason, have gone through a detransition um, and accept that that is that's a valid um, identity. That's a valid decision to have been made um, and, and be open to those stories and your experiences um, because I don't want there to be a vacuum where the only people that are um, willing to to amplify your stories are these these right wing outlets um, who may have nefarious um, intent for why they want to highlight certain stories over others. Um, because, again, your experience is valid. Um, at the end of the day, I think, you know, I, I'm, I won't really touch on the um transitioning as a minor um because that's like a different debate that I unfortunately missed two weeks ago because I got the flu um but what I'm gonna say for this specific topic which is um whether the left ignores detransitioners um I guess where I want to end this is that I I don't if we are I don't want to and I want to rectify it and have those conversations and engaging um, in a forum like this, I think is really helpful. Um, Malcolm also had alluded to that there's there's risks with any um, with any medication. Um, you want to talk about losing orgasms? Um, SSRIs are a real bitch when it comes to <laughs> impacting your sex drive. Um, I have been on Lexapro for a while. I had been on um, Stratera led or, you know, Paxil back in the day. So it's about finding the right balance for you. And um, luckily, even though there are certain side effects, of the medications I take um, that affect things like sex drive, I was informed by my doctor about those potential side effects ahead of time. I was able to make that fully informed decision on whether or not I wanted to pursue a specific treatment. Um, and I think that is a, a, it shouldn't be a luxury. It just should be available to everyone. Everyone should get all the information they can so they can make the decision for them. Um, and, and that's where I hope I'll leave things. Um, but again, if, if you thought this was like a super spicy debate, um, don't watch any of the other debates I've been on because you will be horrified. So thank you for making this uh, so great. <laughs> mm -hmm, that's right. I want to thank all four of our interlocutors, Maddie, Malcolm, Shapeshifter, and Kat, and remind everyone that their links are in the description below. With that, we are going to move over to our Q&A section. Please keep on sending them in, as well as your amazing Super Chats like... For $5 from Arcade Outpost, these studies are canonized by biased ideological activists in social science sciences. Mm. Trust the study is as reliable as trust the church in the 1700s. Based. The earth is actually <laughs> flat and Bigfoot's real. Fucking based. What a king. And the our universe actually revolves around the moon. I think the sun's flat too. Actually, I'm a flat sunner. Oh yeah, I'm not a flat that earth. makes it. I'm a flat sunner. <laughs> <laughs> and 
then with that, we're actually going to move on to our questions. I'm going to keep on looking for those to tag me. But also, we have a question from Chris G. Could you ask Kat to try and specify who she takes issue with instead of people who generally vote them? Um, so I actually have voted Dem <laughs> in the past. Um, and, not, and actually, that's a good point. Not all people on the left, um, you know, support gender identity ideology. Um, so, you know, it is specifically people. I mean, I, I'd say it's, it's specifically people on the left who are supporting the most radical of trans ideology, which is, uh, you know, trying to eliminate single sex spaces, um, putting male rapists in women's prisons, uh, allowing, you know, children at age 12 or younger to start puberty blockers and double mastectomies at age 13, like that people promoting that on the left. And it is not everyone on the left. In fact, I, I'm actually struck by the fact that, um, most people on the left don't even know these things are happening. Um, like they're, they're really shocked uh, when I tell them a, how quickly I was affirmed and, and B what's happening with kids. They're, they're actually shocked. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not even conservative. I'm, I'm left leaning center. Um, so yeah, it is a specific group on the left. It's not everyone. Thank you for that answer. And you got a, you got fans out there. Uh, Hillary's email says, Kat, that you are actually a chat favorite and that we're saying that you're awesome. Oh, well, thank you so much. Because she has a cat. Look at that. How do you say, how do you say no to that? A cat with a cat. Cat, catception. <laughs> and I will say, we only have one more question out there. So... <laughs> If you have a burning desire to get your question for either all of our interlocutors, now is the time to do so. But Mike asks, question for, Mike, uh, for Malcolm. I can't recall, did you end up agreeing with Kat's interpretation of the studies you provided for the chat? Why no. or why not? Um, no, um, there were a few that we went over. Um, the Swedish one specifically, uh, the author herself has kind of come out and stated her, um, like that people that are reading the study are misinterpreting it and that medical transition does uh, decrease suicidality and improve quality of life. Um, I don't even remember the, the other ones that we went over. Um, the D-trans ones, somebody said earlier too that some of the, the studies can be biased and like I agree depending on where you're sampling them from, um, which is why I like the physician survey the best because you know, it's sent out to the physicians that provide this care. It's not just like snowball sampling with a survey monkey link on Reddit posts. Um, so, so yeah, I do disagree. Um, I don't remember exactly every single one that we talked about, but those are the two ones that I um, remember. And all right. On that note, I do want to thank you all for joining us here on Modern Day Debate. We are a neutral platform welcoming everybody from all walks of life if you're looking for even more fantastic debates we are now all over the internet including your favorite podcasting platform so if you enjoy debates like the one tonight then please don't forget to like 
follow, and subscribe, it helps us reach an even wider audience, including tonight's debate on Does the Left Ignore D-Trans Folks? With our debaters, Maddie and Malcolm, and Shapeshifter and Cat, here to help us find that answer. Plus, if you like what any of our guests have said tonight, all of our links are in the description below. Finally, if you're looking for even more fun after the show, feel free to check out our MDD Discord. And with that, I am Amy Newman with Modern Day Debate. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.